Hey there, badasses. I am so excited to dive into this week's episode of Building Badassery. I'm your win woman, Yanni San Luis. And this week, we are going to dive in to negotiating like a badass. Finally, it's arrived. I can sound the trumpets now. I can hear them from a distance. Here's what I know. I know that badasses know how to negotiate and get what they want. The most successful people know how to get the right deals. The other thing I know is that tact and politicking is crucial and important in how to get ahead in absolutely anything. So you might want to grab a journal or a notebook to take notes here, and I'm happy to answer your DMs afterwards. But sit back, relax, and let's swan dive right in. So I'm so thrilled and excited to dive into negotiation today because I am on a mission, badasses. I'm on a mission to make sure that people out there know how to negotiate better and are selling with integrity. Those are two critical and crucial passion projects of mine is to make better negotiators and better salespeople out there. And here's the thing about negotiation and sales. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Chris Voss, which will be taking a lot of his principles this this episode, says that the most dangerous type of negotiation is the one that you don't have a clue that you're currently in. So one of the things I have to say about that is the fact that We negotiate every single day. Every single day we negotiate. We negotiate for decisions, little decisions that sometimes we believe and perhaps right now are on autopilot. We allow people to make decisions for us, but we have have absolute control over the decisions, our emotions that we make individually. So I want to take a step back and I want you to start thinking about at this point What are the things that I have on autopilot? What are the decisions that I'm allowing to happen that I have on autopilot? Those are important things for us to think about as we learn negotiation, because now you can reevaluate if you truly want to continue those things on autopilot. So before we dive into some of the principles that I have in mind that I use in everyday negotiation and everyday conversation, I want to make sure that if you haven't listened to last week's episode of relationships and being selective, that you want to pause this right now and go back and listen to that. 
And the reason why I share that is because we are going to dive into, and I'm going to be talking about principles in the relationship cycle. And last week's episode, we we dove into the relationship cycle and how important it is to establish rapport and build rapport with people. I mentioned principles in discovery, in cultivation, solicitation, and stewardship, and follow-up. So if you haven't listened to the episode, make sure to go back, pause this one, hang on tight, go back, listen to relationships and being selective, and then um, and then come back and listen to this episode because I don't want you to miss out on some of the themes that I'm going to go over. So with that said, for those of you who are like, I got it, Yanni, I'm here, my seatbelt's on, I'm ready to go. Great. I'm super excited. So relationships are absolutely everything. Every single thing are relationships. I'm going to give you a perspective because this is something that I've been seeing and I've been dealing with right now. Right now, during the COVID pandemic, I deal with a lot and I and I help and serve a lot of small businesses in my business. And one of the things that I have seen is you know, the lending that has happened with the PPP and the federal government lending has been really difficult for small businesses and even micro businesses, micro businesses being classified as businesses that have 10 or less employees. So it's been difficult for them to receive federal funding and funding in general. And the thing about this is, is that the people that receive funding, sure, we can see a lot of the the newspapers saying the bigger corporations and things like that, but that's not it. The majority of the people, small businesses and micro businesses that received funding is because they had a personal relationship with a banker inside the bank that they were applying for the loan for. And I say this and I pause and I say it slowly. They had a relationship with the personal banker. They had a personal banker. It wasn't like they just opened an account, forgot about the banker and decided to apply for the loan and and then they didn't get it or they got it. No, that's not how the world works. And I share this with you as an example of what's happening here because it's important to build relationships. Sure, you know, are you going to ask me, and some of you might be thinking, yeah, Yanni, but you know, you know, does that mean that the people who didn't have relationships didn't get um, a loan or didn't get the, the approval for the money? That doesn't mean that, but the high, you have a higher probability of having received the loan, the grant, if you had a personal relationship with a banker than if you didn't. Relationships are everything. Building them are everything. I'm not here to tell you because I will share with you, you know, in the relationship cycle, you might be asking me, yeah, but it takes time to build a relationship. One of the things that I'm going to talk to you about today is how do we build rapport? How do we build a relationship in a quick manner? And there's a lot of things about tactical empathy, which we talked about earlier in one of my episodes on boundaries and and how to use that. So I'll be bringing that term back in this episode and making sure that we're building relationships, but more importantly, building rapport. And so that's something that I want you to consider. How do we further are the relationships that we have in our lives, but how do we effectively 
build them. Because I will tell you, your negotiation, your sales pitch, whatever you're trying to do out there is going to go sideways or won't be in your favor if you don't build a relationship. Speaking of relationships, I want to give you an example of what not to do, because I think it's important for us to review the things and the techniques on building relationships, but the techniques of not of what not to do in sales negotiation and what is frankly off-putting. So I'm going to give you an example. I, I've recently, if you follow me on Instagram, I have been building my following and been posting and engaging and that sort of thing. So as you're building your Instagram and your business and you're building um, a following, a a number of times you get, you know, DMs and private messages from people. And, you know, what I like to do is engage with my followers. I'll follow, uh, follow them back or engage with them, you know, once they comment and things like that. So recently I had um, engaged with a follower and they were in business. They had a, a business of their own and they reached out to me. I followed them back and immediately, immediately they send me a DM and they send me this long ass script of their sales pitch. And then they had about 25, I think I counted, no, 27, I'm looking at my notes, 27 bullet points of all the services that they provided. And I was like, I was in shock. In fact, I par- part of me thought of myself, man, I should really just showcase this fucking example of what not to do. And so I'm going to dissect that for you for a second because you might be thinking, well, what do you mean? Why isn't that a, a good thing to do? Why Why shouldn't I just you know, DM people and just sell, tell my sales pitch or whatever it is? The reason for that is because you haven't built rapport. You have no relationship with me. The only relationship that you have is that you follow me. I ended up engaging with you once. And all of a sudden, that means that you decide to just give me your sales pitch. No, bro, that's not how it works. And I say that because it's it's the truth, everyone. Like You need to build a fucking relationship. Build a relationship. I say this and, I, and I'm passionate about it because you are not getting my sale. You are not getting my money if you don't build a relationship. I want to give you another example because I know that for all of us who have ever been to a mall, which I'm sure the majority of us have and have strolled through, usually in a mall, there's these little kiosks in the middle of a... Um, you know, in, in the middle of the aisles of, of, a, of a mall, in the middle of all the other stores, there are little kiosks and you walk on by and I don't know about you, but you tend to avoid eye contact with these sales professionals because they're literally dragging you in like, come over here, try my, my, um, my cream for your hands. I'm like, no, I don't want anybody touching me and trying my creams for my hands. Like it's a really direct sales approach that frankly is off-putting right? You don't want to engage with them. It's like you're in the Macy's counter or, you know, a lot of times they don't do this anymore, but before they would just spritz you without even asking. And you would like come out of, of a beauty counter smelling like four different perfumes without asking. So I say this because a direct sales approach, everyone does not work. 
building relationships work. So I'll give you an example, going back to my example of Instagram and this follower that decided to, you know, share with me a sonnet of, you know, all her different services that she can provide me without building a relationship with me, without me asking, without any of that. So how I would have built a relationship, especially on Instagram, is having multiple engagement points on one another's feeds, inviting them to chat um, and seeing, you know, how can we build partnership? Maybe we can chat about synergies and, and then identify maybe there's of my list of 27 product offerings, I can identify maybe two to three that would reflect best on, on what you're doing and the service that you're providing. That's how I would be. And that's something the way that you can engage, you can engage more. If you see me right now, everyone, I'm flailing my arms or not my arms, but my hands all around because I also talk with my hands. But I tell you this to make a passionate point, And that is you need to build those relationships and build that rapport. And building that rapport goes back to engagement, being interested in the other person you know, selling with integrity. Again, I'm on that mission to make sure that people are selling with integrity and you're rocking that sale. Because I say this, when you sell with integrity and you come from a place of service, people will continue to purchase from you. And that's something that you want to, they not only purchase from you, but they'll become more interested in what you have to say and they will build, the, the trust building is what is what begins there. So you want to sell with integrity. You want to sell in service because it builds trust. They will begin to trust you. All right. So let's begin with my three rules of negotiation. And I'm going to help you through these rules, right? So Number one, no begins a negotiation. I want you to understand that. The no, the word no, or the body language, no, begins a negotiation. Number two, we need to address the fairness factor. I will share with you that in any negotiation that you present, that you pitch, that you go through, if the opposite party feels like they've been treated unfairly, or that what you're presenting, the deal that you're presenting is unfair, like they're not getting a fair shake in it, the likelihood of it being over is so high. It's highly likely that the negotiation just stops right there in its tracks. There is no, absolutely no recovery if the person feels at any point that they've been treated unfairly or again, that the deal that you're offering is unfair. So we need to address the fairness factor. And number three, what is so critical is that you need to understand and discover the rules. You need to discover the rules. You need to respect them. Once you discover the other party's rules and you discover them by building the rapport within the negotiation, but once you discover them, you need to respect them. That doesn't mean that you need to adopt them. You just need to respect them. And the second case is when you are discovering those rules, 
is you have to make sure that you present and state the case of why working together is better than going alone or going with someone else. You got to make that case and you have to make it in a fair manner. So those are the three things that I want you to really just digest and understand as we begin to dissect the negotiation process. So my first rule, no begins a negotiation. So my biggest thing here is that every one of us, for some reason, when we begin a negotiation or we're a novice in negotiating, we, it's like we know that no is a possibility. We understand that there might be objections. In fact, some of the things that I do during my seminars on negotiating the first thing that I put up there for my audience members is asking myself or asking my audience the question, what is, what you, what do you feel fear most about negotiating? What is your biggest fear when you're negotiating? And the first thing that pops up is the obvious, which is no, the word no, right? Getting a negative Um, impression or getting that rejection, that is my fear, right? So we kind of go into the negotiating table with knowing that that's a possibility, but what we don't do is that we don't prepare for it. And that's a huge mistake because here's the thing, a sales pitch that goes right, right? That they are like, great, awesome. Where do I sign is not a negotiation. It's an agreement. A negotiation is when you visibly see someone is has an uncomfortable feeling or you're anticipating that, you know, something is off and you can see, you can you can physically see that there is a no or that someone tells you no. I want you to sh- I want to share with you that the likelihood of someone just outright saying no to you and just saying no is is not as likely as you receiving a um, physical body language type no. And so you have to kind of be very cued in on understanding and just visually seeing what the person, as you are explaining something, what the person is reacting to and how they're re- and how they're being receptive. How are they doing reactions to what you're saying? I say this because a number of times you want to do pulse checks throughout. You want to label what you're hearing and what you're and what you're feeling um, and what they're feeling. You want to label what they are feeling. So I'll give you an example. One of the things, and you want to make sure that as you are, are as you're meeting people and as you are um, sharing with them you know, perhaps you're hearing their vision. You want to make sure that you're understanding that correctly. So in in a, a number of ways, you probably label something like, oh, what I'm hearing is, I want you to just stop yourself from using the term moving forward what it what i'm hearing is and the reason why i want you to stop that is because it implies and you're assuming that um it's from your it's from your own perspective when what you really want to say is it seems like or it sounds like 
Those are the type of words or it feels like those are the three terms or the three um, that you can use transition statements that you can use to label a feeling. And why you want to do this is because this is how you start building rapport, right? This is how you start building the rapport that you need within a negotiation, within a relationship so that you can have a mutual understanding The other person on the other side of the table can have the understanding that you understand them. And you're doing these pulse checks, these labeling exercises throughout the conversation. And perhaps within that pulse check, you can identify a no or an uncomfortable feeling that, um, that, you know, at that point you address. I never recommend when you are negotiating to ever just say the sales pitch, your pitch, and then wait till the end for questions. That doesn't happen in real life. You need to make sure it doesn't happen, happens in real life, but it's not successful. And what I want you to do is start doing is having conversations while you're going, while you're mentally preparing for a negotiation, you want to begin to have, you know, think about having, you know, the conversation with the opposite member of that you're that you're coming into play with and pulse checking throughout by labeling what you are hearing from them without using the words what i'm hearing is you want to use the words again it seems like it sounds like it feels like right when you are validating their statements why you want to do that once again is because you want to make sure that you're on the right track If you hit a snag in this pitch or in this, let's say, validation period, this labeling period, what you want to do is take a step back and you want to say, you know, it seems like I really hit a nerve there when I was describing the, the budget for this project. Or it seems I really hit a nerve there when I was describing, you know, insert whatever it is that you were saying. Can, can we dive into that? I want to make sure that we addressed, you know, whatever it, it made you uncomfortable about that. That language that I just use, I use so often to, to really check in with the other party about how they're feeling and validate their feelings during the time. The reason why I want to do that is because I want to pivot my plan in, in the process, right? I want to be able to see the objections that they might have during the pitch and during the process versus wait till the end so that I can pivot and I don't have to, and I want to have their full attention because here's the thing, everyone, if you, if you steamroll through the pitch and you are sensing that, uh, you know, they're, they're crossing their hands or maybe their body language is just telling me no, or they're not really interested, and you are not checking that, you are not addressing that, then the likelihood of them tuning out, it's high, right? They probably tuned out a while back. And the success of this pitch is not going to be very successful, right? So we want to tune in. So sometimes people ask me the question, well, Yanni, how is it that you address if someone, if I, I've been in a pitch before and maybe the person's checking their phone or that sort of thing. Do you address those things if the person's busy? And I'm going to tell you, hell yes, I address it because guess what? I want the full captivation and the full attention of the person opposite from me. 
And how I address it is by saying something simply like, so it it seems like this, it seems like you might be distracted at this time. Is this a, is this a good time to, to go through this or would you like to reschedule? And I say it in that tone, in that voice, not in the condescension or the condescending tone like, well, it seems like you don't really have an interest in this at this time, or it seems like this might not be a priority. That voice inflection is, is being, you know, we're, it's in conflict, right? And that is going to obstruct what the other person or what the other party is, um, is feeling. So I don't want to hide in their sense that's there. I want to diffuse the situation and I want to come from a place of understanding and curiosity. So the next thing I want to address is the fairness factor. And I say this because if anyone thinks, if the opposite party thinks that they've been treated unfairly or that they have been dealt an unfair deal, this is what destroys deals if they feel that way. And I want you to, you know, I want you to take deliberate action to address feelings and fairness because everybody wants theirs, right? Everybody is out for number one for themselves in, in any given situation. When you walk into a negotiation or a deal, people, people want to feel like they got something, right? Like they, that they got, they walked away with something. And it's kind of like the, the same factor, as I mentioned, and I'll address it is that third one, which is, is the fact of like, you want to make sure that the other party and you're stating that case, that the other party understands that why working with you and specifically why working together in this negotiation is better for them versus going alone or with someone else. And if you can make the case that it's better for their wallet and you are cost saving even better, that's, that's exactly what you want to do. So you want to state and, and really address the fairness factor. And one of the ways that I feel that I like to do it is always by setting the expectations. You always want to set the expectations for any meeting. And I love the language that Chris Voss's classes give. And I'm going to share it with you because I've tweaked it and I myself use it in multiple negotiations. And so this is how I address the fairness factor. So this is the language. It's my intention to treat you fairly. If at any point in our conversation, you feel that the deal that I'm presenting or the, the partnership here I'm presenting is unfair, please let me know. We want to address it immediately. Fairness is important for me. And it's, it's a guiding value. So those are type of words. That's, the, that's a script or those are some language points that I use during the negotiation when I am describing really the setting of the expectation and how to deal with fairness. Again, you want to weave that in. One of the things that I love as well is um, this thing about calling out the other person's fears and the other person's potential objections, right? So Chris Voss calls this the accusations audit. And this is when you are able to highlight in the conversation the things that the other party is thinking, right? 
prior to it. So you're like teeing it up through the conversation in order to then present to them a bigger thing, right? So you're you're kind of like, I, I don't want to say theatrical, but in a way it is theatrical. So I actually recently used this in a pitch and I will share with you, um, I was in this million dollar pitch recently and before I went into the pitch with my colleague and partner, we wanted to drive in the idea of how ridiculous the number it was that we were going to be asking for, right? And how we did that was at the beginning of the pitch and at the end, we paralleled it as well. We said things like, so, you know, before we get into this presentation, I just wanted to set you up and let you know that you might think we're absolutely nuts with this program that we're pitching. You might think that we've lost our mind and that that it's an absolutely ridiculous number what we're going to ask you for. You might even think that you might even be offended by the number and we wanted to let you know and we wanted to, you know, bring that out there. So why you say that is because imagine as I'm going through those things, I think the first thing that comes to your mind is like, wow, how much money are they going to ask me for? Right? It's your it's the curiosity standpoint that comes in and that plays in in that in that in that regard. And what happens is that a lot of times you build it up to this astronomical level of whatever it is, this anticipation that by the time that you ask, it's like, oh, that's doable, right? And it's you painting that picture. Um, and it's the the theatrical standpoint that um, I love in that in that particular case. But I think it's it's a nice way to to parallel those techniques. But the other reason why you use this type of of audit, this accusation audit, as Chris Foss um, so brilliantly labels it, is because you want to know, you want the other side to know that you understand the fears that they have on the table, right? You want to understand, like you you want to save for them. Because they're not going to, a lot of times they won't say it to your face. You want to say for them the things that they, they might be thinking. And that is going to be so uh, brilliant for you to use because it really gets into and locks into the relationship that you really get it. Like you really get them and you, you can see from their perspective and you're using that empathy, right? That tactical empathy on, on really understanding and coming from their perspective. And lastly, my last rule for this of negotiation is to uncover and discover the rules that they have set forth, that the other party has. And I wanted to repeat and share with you, you want to uncover them, understand them, respect them. Doesn't mean you have to adopt them for yourself. So I share this with you because this is a process in a, in the span of the relationship, whether it's a longstanding relationship with the individual from a, across the table, or it's somebody you just met and you're getting into a quick ne- negotiation. You're still following that relationship cycle. You're discovering them, cultivating them, soliciting them, and then following up and stewarding, right? But you are discovering, you're discovering where the landmines are. Right. You're you're trying to identify where the pressure points 
the pain points are in the relationship. And I know that each and every one of us has had an opportunity where you've pushed a button and you're like, ooh, okay, all right, I'm going to step away now. I understand that now that that's what tests you or that's that's not something that you're interested in. So in sharing with you some of the negotiation practices of validation and labeling other people's emotions and feelings as they are describing their vision or what have you, how you get them to describe things and how you get them to elaborate on things is by asking them how and what questions. And I say how and what, because why is a very negative type of question asking. So for example, if I was going to ask you, you know, regarding your mission and your vision, you know, why is your vision and mission, you know, the following, it sounds like you are questioning why feels like a negative questioning versus, you know, how did you get to, to that vision, that vision or mission, you know, that how, or what is more inquisitive in nature. The curiosity is what's peaked at that point and it's more positive in nature. So how you get people to really elaborate on what they're talking about is by doing follow-up questions of how and what. How and what is going to describe and going to uncover for you some of the rules, pressure points, pain points as you're going through a negotiation with someone, right? So that's so important. You know, here's the thing about this, everyone. Nobody is going to go out there and be like, hey, this is my rules. These are the rule books. These are the things that I like or don't like. It's a discovery process, right? But asking those how and what questions is what's going to set you up for success. And that, badasses, is a wrap. So in recapping this week's episode, we want to take away... People want to be treated fairly, they desire to be understood, and they don't want things shoved in their face. We want to remember the rule three that I've set out. No begins the negotiation. We want to address the fairness factor in everything we're pitching and discover the rules in progress by asking how and what questions. Always remember that you need to understand and know the strengths that you bring to the table. When you are understanding and know the strengths you bring to the table, you can know your worth. And when you know your worth, you can ask for what you want. Make sure to always ask and ask every day if you need to for what you want. And do that through the beauty of negotiation. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. I can't wait for next week when we dive into advocating for yourself and building influence. I'm so excited on how those two parallel together and how that has to do with your own convictions. So once again, I have been your host, Yanni San Luis. I'm your win woman. And this was Building Badassery.